wide-scale adoption of cloud applications, an increase in remote workers, and expansion of branch offices has rendered the centralized, on-premises security model impractical. Enter Cisco Umbrella. Umbrella now includes secure web gateway, firewall, and cloud access security broker functionality, plus integration with Cisco SD-WAN, all delivered from a single cloud security service. It helps businesses of all sizes secure their network and extend protection to roaming users and branch offices. Security doesn't have to be complicated. Get simple, smart, and powerful security with Cisco Umbrella. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cisco Umbrella to learn more. Today's networks are changing fast and employees, devices, and infrastructures are more distributed than ever. Gigamon Threat Insight is a cloud-native, high-velocity network detection and response solution that's purpose-built to enable you to get in front of this transformation. Discover hidden network threats, automate security investigations, and optimize security workflows to stay a step ahead of attackers with Gigamon Threat Insight. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash Gigamon. Do you worry about ransomware, data breaches, reputation damage, especially from phishing attacks, on employees working from home? The facts are, top cloud security tools have a 15% failure rate. 51% of phishing is social media based. Pixum knows because Pixum detects and stops breaches at point of click. Pixum's AI real-time solution detects actual fraud happening in a browser and stops it. Know your real security gaps. Get a phishing actualization test free at securityweekly.com forward slash Pixum. That's P-I-X-M. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. We're ecstatic to announce that Security Weekly Unlocked will be held in person on December 5th through the 8th at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista. Call for presentations and early registration is now available at securityweekly.com forward slash unlocked. Submit your presentation and register for the early registration price before it expires. Uh, This segment is sponsored by Fastly. Securityweekly.com forward slash Fastly is where you can find out more information. Joining us today from Fastly is Brendan McAreg. He is has eight years experience in various product marketing roles and started off his career as an editorial researcher and staff writer at PC Magazine. Today, he joins us for a segment on bringing the fractured view of security and how teams can reduce the visibility gap. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Paul, for having me. Appreciate it. Nice to have you here. I want to start with uh, actually a little bit about the philosophy behind Fastly and uh, Signal Sciences, obviously, was acquired by uh, Fastly. And it was interesting to me to hear how some of the philosophy was very, very similar. And there was a a lot of good, uh, you guys had a lot in common, I think. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fastly was uh, founded basically to empower developers so that they can deliver highly performant uh, applications and bring those digital experiences closer to users on their global edge network. Um, likewise, with Signal Sciences, our founders coming pre-acquisition, uh, Nick, Andrew, and Zane, they, they wanted to basically empower developers to be able to secure their applications in any infrastructure wherever they deploy them um, quickly, easily, and, and confidently. Um, so I think you know, the, 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 the major value of the acquisition is this, is that bringing those two entities together in terms of global delivery at scale, that's highly performant and programmable, with Signal Science's ability to secure those applications and APIs in any environment. You bring those together, you get performance scale, visibility, all under uh, one solution. So that's really uh, what we're delivering on. It's awesome. Uh, the, the next question comes in is the how do I 
build and structure my team between development and security? And what does that look like across customers that uh, vary in size and capabilities, right? That's, that's the yeah. real million dollar question today, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think um, what I've seen our customers do, and obviously it depends on the customer size, whether it be a growth uh, you know, mid-market company versus a large enterprise. Some of the challenges are similar, some are different. Um, since this is Enterprise Security Week, I'll talk about it from the, uh, the enterprise point of view. Um, I think if you are a CISO and you come into an organization and you obviously are inheriting uh, a tech stack, um, infrastructure, security tooling that was already put in place prior to your arrival, you're probably looking at a couple of things. Um, obviously, people, uh, process, and tools are the, the three cornerstones of security. And um, as far as like security and developers working together, um, the sophistication can vary. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to good communication. And of course, with signal sciences, we focus on providing, giving that, uh, that baseline of information that all the teams can work from to have a, a consistent baseline in terms of what's happening to the applications and APIs in production. Um, so good decisions can be made and you can also obviously quickly investigate on and remediate issues. Um, some of the things I think uh, enterprise CISOs have to think about when they want to get their security teams working more smoothly with developers is, you know, number one, understanding um, what's the application footprint look like across the organization, who's working, what, what development teams are focused on, what application APIs, and then how do you basically get the visibility across all of that um, in a way that's consistent so that you can then take uh, the view that you have and then report out to your board or your management team in a way that shows that, yes, we have um, our security posture locked down in terms of, and, and planned for in terms of future growth or acquisitions. Um, that's kind of uh, what I see in terms of um, being able to empower us. So basically to really secure their, um, their application footprint. Um, there's some other variations or levels that we can go into depending on, you know, the, the discussion you want to have here. Um, yeah. I, I look at it as a really nice way for me to start injecting security into the conversation, but also, pitching it as helping the developers and architects because their their primary concern, right? When you're a security person, your primary concern is, I want to make sure we don't get hacked, right? You got to understand as a developer, of course, their concern is, I got to get this application deployed and I got to make sure it doesn't crash or crush under a heavy load. And those are their primary concerns. <laughs> and the way I've used Fastly is like, Hey, if we go to them, we can get some performance out of our application. And I'm like, by the way, we can get some security. And like, guess what? We can all use the same platform and we can use it to solve our various problems and answer our various questions, which are different, whether you're a security person outside the dev team, whether you're a site reliability engineer inside the team. As Brendan, you've already established, every enterprise works slightly differently as to how they structure their teams uh, and their tech stacks are all different. We'll get to that in a moment. But just the the ability to have that one solution that can answer all those questions uh, across security and development, I think is, is super important. Yeah, I think what I've seen is developers, obviously they want to know how efficiently their applications and APIs are running. So you have the typical uh, application performance management solutions out there, uh, whether you're commercial or open source, um, but you can track the efficiency and, um, you know, the load and whatnot and, and what services they're reaching out to and whatnot. But what I've seen happen with our customers is they, we get them into, you know, kicking the tires as it were with our offering. And then they, they get the visibility and they, they start to see, wow, I didn't realize, um, we had so many requests that were trying to access this, uh, application in a certain way. Um, we didn't realize we had some 
um, what, what are all these calls to this API over here and what's happening over here? Um, so really just getting that visibility into the, the, the amount of traffic, what those web requests are trying to access on server instances. Um, and now with the rise of containers uh, and the scale that that container orchestration enables, um, we're able to provide, you know, the, not just from the client to the app origin, but insight into what's happening in the east-west traffic between services that power distributed applications now. Mm. Uh, Tyler, Adrian? Yeah, I, I can only imagine that the scope of coverage is increasing drastically with the move to cloud, the the digital digital transformation that's occurring across the board. I'm sure COVID also helped in some of those those aspects. Can you talk a little bit about some of the um, some of the more recent features? Um, do you have anything that covers um, like service mesh or any of the more I guess let's uh, serverless service mesh any of the more extreme versions of cloud native? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, we work with companies that are, uh, you know, cloud first, if you will. They they were founded on uh, being able to offer a service that's SaaS based, perhaps, um, and they're using containers to, to scale up and meet user demand rapidly. So when you use container orchestration, obviously, to to meet that demand and roll out um, applications rapidly in, in a continuous manner, and you want to get those new features out to make customers happy, um, you know, speed is great. But you also want to be able to understand what are the traffic patterns uh, and what what what's the nature of the request between microservices. Developers are now are using um, cloud native foundations like or actually frameworks, I should say, uh, like Istio um, or Envoy Proxy. Um, those are frameworks that allow you to basically offload some of the networking aspects of your from your application, so that you can focus on more uh, efficient processing. Of, of incoming requests and, and, and the functions that it needs to carry out to deliver on, on what it was built to do. Um, so we are really proud of the fact that we have native integrations with Istio and Envoy so we can get that east-west visibility um, and do it in a way that doesn't require our customers to like extremely instrument their applications. You know, it lives once you deploy us within the container or as a sidecar. Um, we basically are there to inspect the traffic and we can do it without negatively impacting performance. Um, your team's not going to have to you know, continuously upgrade or, or do other instrumenting of the code on an ongoing basis. Um, and that's something that we really uh, find a lot of our customers get value from, that we can be part of their, uh, I mean, to, for lack of using a better term, infrastructure as code, so that once they've integrated us, we're there, we're inspecting, we're giving them the visibility, regardless of whether it's east-west traffic or north-south. So uh, as a follow-on question, we do a lot of discussions on this podcast about the technology, how it works, where it protects, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about the um, attack classes you protect from? Because I think our audience would be well-served to understand what the Fastly Signal Sciences combo offering can really help protect them from, because that's obviously, uh, in my opinion, much more important than just having tech for tech's sake. Sure. So, um you, know, you, I think for a lot of our customers, getting the peace of mind and, and the confidence to deploy applications, knowing that they're going to be protected against a WASP injection attack, such as cross-site scripting or um, uh, SQL injection, you know, it, it, as common as that is, it's still a concern for many of our customers. So we give them the peace of mind and the confidence that those will be taken care of. Beyond those um, OWASP injection attacks, um, we can basically look at things like API abuse, um, business logic attack on the app. In other words, um, you roll an application and your dev, dev team basically 
thinks it knows the logic flow of how the user is supposed to interact with it. But what attackers try to do is they'll then look at how can they abuse certain transactional um, interactions with the app in a way that wasn't intended. So what we were able to do then is perhaps see, um, I'll use authentication as a, an example. So you know you have registration, site registration for an account, uh, reset password, um, basically other uh, account management things that users do. So we can basically set up um, signals basically to, to monitor those key transactions. And if you go beyond an expected threshold over an X period of time frame, um, we can then help you either decide to block those after you've met a certain threshold, or you can basically continue to monitor and then investigate and then decide to block later. Um, other advanced web attacks, uh, account takeover via credential stuffing. So this is when um, you know credentials have been uh, pilfered through past breaches, get been sold on the dark web, and um, attackers use dictionary brute force attacks to basically run through the credentials, and when they find a good one, then they will take over a user's account to commit other fraud or perhaps um, basically try to log into other major financial websites per se and see hope that the users use the same credentials over and over and then they can basically take over those accounts. Um, so we're able to basically detect credential stuffing to help our customers prevent that kind of abuse. Um, as far as the APIs, we can basically uh, look at the API calls and see and look at the context of the web request to the API endpoint. Um, and see if there's basically a, a way that perhaps an attacker is trying to enumerate um, through certain values that the API is um, transferring between, say, uh, with a partner. We have a partner in reverse kind of pull information from one of your uh, applications. We can look at that and see if we can find abusive patterns and then prevent that from happening. Sometimes you'll have companies that are partners and, and basically they, they agree to certain types of data exchanges by API and sometimes the partner it unknowingly will abuse that. Uh, privilege and then overtax the API endpoint. You want to basically flag on that and then let the partner know, look, we really need to talk about how the, the traffic patterns that you're sending our way and let's see if we can stop uh, you know, overutilizing the API in a way that wasn't intended. So those are some of the examples, Tyler, that I'm thinking of. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that kind of rundown on use cases, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what's more important than the tech is the use cases. So appreciate that. Um, Adrian? Paul, you guys have oh, any yeah. other questions? I wanted to talk about deploy sorry, Agent, just really quick. I want to make sure we hit on deployment. Um, I have conversations with, with folks about, you know, how we should uh, build and deploy an application. And when you think about that today, there's so many options. And you know, sometimes you're like, Well, we're gonna use containers. I'm like, that's great. How are we going to use containers? Is it going to be Kubernetes? Is it going to be ECS? Is it going to be just deployed on EC2? Or how much of the cloud native functionality are we going to use? Are they going to be serverless, right? And which components are we going to use inside of the you know menu of cloud providers that we have today? And then once you pick one, then you're like, well, how are we going to monitor and make sure that we're not going to get hacked and or like catastrophic? problems, right? Because based on your deployment strategy, uh, oftentimes then you have to choose how that application is monitored, right? To make sure it's functioning properly. That could be for security, that could be for operations, very similar, uh, I think, uh, kind of use cases in, in thinking. When when I come to uh, the Fastly Next Generation WAF, um, I really like the deployment options because oftentimes I've got multiple, you mentioned the CISO walking in, I may have a hundred applications 
could be deployed in like a hundred different ways, right? So having those deployment options, I think, is really important. I think, you know, you've done a great job at, at covering all the bases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you go to a CISO uh, or the security stakeholder of a customer, you don't want to dictate to them like, okay, you have to deploy our product this way in order to get the production in place. Um, with traditional perimeter-based WAPs in the past, that's somewhat of an issue. I mean, well, the, the thought process there was let's just put the WAP in front of the traffic before it reaches the, the application or the, the app endpoint. And you know, I used to work, but now, as you mentioned, Paul, there's there's developers have many choices in terms of how they want to develop and, and deploy their applications. Uh, in different infrastructure, um, it could be public cloud, it could be uh, data center, it could be, um, like you mentioned, containers, uh, or a combination. You know, if you're a CISO and you, and, you know, come into an organization and you're inheriting legacy applications that some of which maybe haven't been migrated to the cloud yet, um, they ha you know, there may be digital transformation projects underway to do that. But reality is, you're probably going to have different uh, applications and APIs deployed in different ways. So we're able to offer a menu of choices to to that, that's just a security stakeholder. And it could be some of the most popular deployment methods are uh, at the web servers. We have uh, different modules that are compatible with different uh, certain operating systems. Um, we can basically deploy in reverse proxy if you need to inspect upstream traffic before it hits the app uh, endpoint. Um, and then we also have a cloud WAF option, which, which comes into play when you, re you meet a security stakeholder and they say, yeah, I don't want to deploy another agent again. Uh, I've already got other agents, security agents in my infrastructure, and I don't want to have another one to, to have to upgrade or you know, otherwise manage, um, even though we have very easy management or you know, oftentimes no, no need to manage. But in any case, there's a perception out there that I don't want to deploy another agent. Right. So we or I, I can't. You know, the other use case is I can't deploy an agent because it could even be a portion of my application is running in a serverless or cloud-native application or something like Fargate, which... It, it really kind of constricts you as to how much control you have over that container. And then in serverless, you lose control over that container completely. Right. And that's when we were, were able to run our agent either as a sidecar or uh, uh, basically alongside the application that has that at the application layer and that traffic in the container. Um, so net net, you know, we're able to work with the customer. We, we, we don't let infrastructure dictate how we deploy. Um, it's really up to the customer who can, basically show us, here's what I have to protect and different infrastructure, and then we can lay out here, here are some options that we can work with you to get the protection up and running quickly. Mm -hmm. um, also super important if you're in a company that does a lot of acquisitions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Adrian, because uh, I'm thinking of an example where we actually have a customer that's a big American media company, and what they do is they We'll go out and acquire third-party websites um, that publish whatever news, reviews, podcasts, whatever. Um, but they add to their portfolio of, of these media websites. But the problem with that is they, you know, those sites are basically set up in a, in a way and deployed in a way that was um, made sense for those then-independent then entities. Um, but now they want to be able to protect them quickly. And so we're able to do that for them by speeding up the integration with the infrastructure um, and do that in a standardized way across all the properties. Um, and then net-net their security team, or if it's their developer team that has the, the responsibility of securing those apps, we can show them either through our management console or through our API if they want to work with the team or uh, to basically take our indicators and telemetry into another third-party tool. By our, we have an API to do that. So um, we give them that unified view across all of that. So they, they have that freedom to go out and 
find other media properties and acquire them as they need to and not worry about being able to deploy the production. So um, question for you, you know, talking about increasing visibility here, you know, one of the first questions in my mind, having been someone that's that's had to do a lot of uh, uh, SecOps and monitoring and things like that, you know, when I think about visibility, you know, I think I, I want access to everything. You know, I want that power, but I also want the wisdom to ignore most of it and, and the ability to ignore most of it because, you know, it's... It, you know, if you try to look at everything, it is just overwhelming. So, yeah. you know, as, uh, and, and with a product like yours, obviously, there's got to be some tuning to the application there. Uh, but is, is there anything that you can do or that you you uh, currently do that minimizes the amount of uh, tuning and customization the customer has to do on their part to, to minimize that, you know, potential yeah. alert fatigue? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start there with just talking about one of our foundational pieces of technology, uh, which is smart parts. Um, and to set this up, I want to talk about traditional perimeter labs because they use a technology called regular expression pattern matching, uh, which basically means you've got uh, a security staff member basically setting up these static rules that are looking for patterns in the web request uh, as, it, as it comes in. And if it matches on a pattern, it'll block the, the traffic. Um, the problem with that is uh, it's a little too rigid. Also, you have to have somebody that will basically test the rules every time code goes to production uh, to make sure they're not break the new, new rules that are introduced are not breaking breaking the app by bringing it offline. Um, you also have to spend a lot of time basically maintaining full rule sets. Um, so, in other words, it's not really a, a technology that scales well for the modern web. Um, whereas, what we do at with Fastly's next gen WAF is we we have a technology called Smart Parse, and what it does is it looks at the context of the web request. That can, that can include um, the request headers. Um, it can also look at source IP address. Um, there's other factors as well, geographic, based on the IP geographic uh, origin of the request. Basically, look at all the different things that the context of the web request and then decide in line, is this malicious or is this something we should let through as a legitimate from a user. Um, and what also makes this really ideal for that quick inline decisioning is we're able to, because we're able to break down the web payload um, in a way that lets us see, like, is this a legitimate uh, user query or is it someone trying to pass a SQL injection into a form um, and not get hung up on that? Uh, we're able to basically have highly confident decisioning that our customers know that they can rely on. Um, Beyond that, uh, we also will let the customer know, like, this traffic's anomalous. So perhaps not outright malicious, but because we're able to point out that this is something that may not be expected, um, it's up to the customer then, and we can give them that visibility so they can investigate further and decide if incoming traffic is anomalous, is that something also that they should be blocking on? Um, so net-net, because we give them the confidence to our protection in place very quickly and easily, they can also know that because of our technology, it's going to basically be very highly efficient and effective detection of blocking. Um, that's really kind of the core of how we're able to differentiate from past implementations of web application firewalls. And Brendan, I want to go back to the, the cloud solutions. Um, uh, how do you hook into the various cloud uh, providers, um, 
you know, knowing that I may have different applications deployed differently, even within those various uh, cloud mm -hmm. applications, right? I I'm able to deploy the next-gen WAF into that, right? H how is that, is that done? So I want to give an example of um, Azure as a, a cloud provider. And we have, um, we know many of our customers, especially on the enterprise side, they may have invested in Azure and more specifically building applications for IIS as their server instance operating system. Um, and if they're in Azure and they're building applications that were built in the past on IIS, we have um, an, an app service extension that basically allows, it's, it's similar to one of our modules that basically allows us to hook into the Azure um, IIS server instance and basically be there to uh, protect, to inspect the app, inspect the incoming web request and protect the application. That's just one example. Um, we also have uh, the ability to say you're using, uh, this may not be the most apt example, but we have uh, an Nginx integration. So if you're using Nginx as your load balancer, um, in, in, in any of the cloud providers, uh, we can basically have that nati native integration as well. Um, but I think the key there is really that we have uh, our module that's basically written in difference, uh, that's written to be compatible with different operating systems, regardless of the cloud provider that you're using. And you can also sit in the, the cloud provider as, as a reverse proxy, like can that be in a, a native cloud service, basically? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. I I like that I can protect all of those applications and and even in that model potentially get, know about new applications being deployed, right? Because I'm not it don't necessarily have to be tied into the the DevOps pipeline, right? I can kind of sit out in my cloud provider and provide that protection. Right. Correct. That's awesome. More questions for Brendan? You know, Paul, I wanted to bring up. Uh, yeah. Since this is an enterprise focused show for enterprise security stakeholders, um, one thing that we've seen uh, come out of the pandemic is this concept of continuous authentication. And I'm sure you've probably seen that out in the, the security media elsewhere. Um, but it's a concept that we, uh, prior to the acquisition and now still part of Fastly, um, that we're focused on because I think CISOs need to be concerned now, especially with the, the big move to work remote work. Um, you've got users accessing both consumers and your own employees. They're accessing different um, web-based services from wherever. And um, one thing that we're seeing customers want to do more of is this concept of continuous authentication, meaning that you track users from authentication to the app or API. In other words, how are they going to use it? Um, and then basically, once they've authenticated, we can basically uh, integrate with different IAM uh, providers like Okta or Duo Security um, to basically correlate any suspicious or malicious um, IP address with end user accounts um, and basically then employ enforcement actions. So that basically you're helping um, customers basically protect their applications both uh, in concert with an, I, uh, an identity access management solution. And then once they've authenticated, we'll look at what they're doing in terms of what are they trying to access on the server instance? What are they, how are they trying to use the application? Um, and one example I can think of is, uh, say you have um, perhaps insiders who become disgruntled and they have access to, say, uh, a SaaS service such as uh, an HR management system. Um, and they become disgruntled and for whatever reason they want to start doing things like looking at 
uh, personally identifiable information for employees and then using that to do other fraud or whatnot. So the net net here is we're able to help um, customers track what employees are doing. Also, uh, once customers log in too, are, there, are they trying to abuse the application in a way that wasn't intended? Um, but basically by able to connect the two, um, the identity access management solution with our visibility that we provide once these are authenticated, it, it becomes pretty powerful to basically have this concept of continuous authentication. Um, so I'm not sure if you've talked about other guests with no. that concept. But it's yeah, but that's, that's really cool because those are those are some, oftentimes issues that are, are hard to d- discover with static analysis or even d- dynamic analysis, right? Is how a user is uh, tied to a session and is that session trying to behave badly, right? Is kind of, I think what you're describing, Brendan, is, is tracking those sessions. That's something you can't really gain visibility into unless the application is deployed, it's up, it's running, and real users have, have sessions. I think it's an extension of, it used to be assumed that because someone authenticated and then they're using identity access management solution, well, that's okay. Now they can do what they want behind that authentication uh, layer. But now, obviously, with everyone, well, a, a large group of people working from home, uh, consumers are now shifting a lot of their buying habits online. Um, you really need to get more granular once uh, the user is authenticated. And so that's where Fastly's Next Gen WAF can then provide that visibility. Once they've authenticated, what are they trying to do? Is there something that is looking unacceptable or malicious once they've authenticated? And that's, that's another key value that we provide customers to. That's awesome. Yeah, and probably probably tricky to balance that between you know unintentional stuff. You know, like I, I've got a laptop uh, that'll automatically switch between Wi-Fi and and 4G depending on the the health of the Wi-Fi. You know, so if the Wi-Fi access point goes down, it'll automatically switch over to 4G. I won't even know that it happens. It just happens invisibly in the background. And of course, my IP address is is going to suddenly change for the application that I'm using. Yeah, it's 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 similar. I mean, from a end user standpoint, whether you're an employee or a consumer, same thing. You're logging in, you're interacting with the app. It doesn't matter uh, in terms of um, from the from the security stakeholder standpoint, like where they're logging in from. You just want to be able to track. Okay, once they've authenticated, what are they going to do next? Is there something that uh, is high risk in terms of what they're doing? And if if it is, we signal on that, and then we inform the security team or the developer too if they need to know that. So. Can that, that get down to granular levels? Like like you mentioned, the HR, HR use case. You know, like if, if somebody uh, doesn't normally change employee salaries, it is suddenly like <laughs> going after mm-hmm. changing like like a couple yeah. dozen people's salaries. Yeah, I think it's in terms of uh, you have probably an expected pattern of how often does that happen. And if you see mm-hmm. uh, a certain amount of it happening in a shorter time frame per se, and you're not expecting that, we can signal on that and then um, either block that from happening uh, or, or send an alert and let, at least let, let you know that this is happening and then you can take action. Um, so it's really around, again, defined thresholds for certain activity that you expect or don't expect um, and then taking action to, to block it if it's something that you, that's going to hurt the business. Awesome. Brendan, thank you so much for appearing on Enterprise Security Weekly. Yeah, appreciate it, Paul. This is fun. Have a good time. Uh, Folks that want to learn more can visit securityweekly.com forward slash fastly. Coming up next, the enterprise security news. Stay tuned.